0: Welcome everybody to Bridge Builders Communities Church Sermon Podcast. You are listening to one of our messages from our weekly gathering. We hope that you sit back and enjoy and be blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, once again, the absolute privilege it is to be in your presence. How generous and how kind of you it is that you would call us your sons and your daughters. And you, (laughs) you love having your children with you. So we thank you for the joy that that is and for the comfort that is and for the blessing that is to be in your presence. We ask that right now you would come and open up our hearts, our minds, and our spirit to the truth your truth. We ask that you would empty me of me and empty everybody here of themselves so that we could be full to the brim of who you are. That we'd be ready to embrace and dive in and soak in and be saturated with everything that you are tonight. Only you can do that work, Holy Spirit. So we invite you in. We say, Come. Come and invade every space that we, that we have inside. We love you, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, have you ever felt restless? And there's certainly enough to, to make us re- re- um, restless. Restless. Is certainly enough to make me not speak well. Um, your phone is constantly blowing up, maybe, with texts, phone calls, phone messages. Uh, maybe your calendar is so full that you wish there were more days in the month, or maybe less days, depending on what it is. Maybe your to-do list is so out of control that it just seems to go on and on and on and every time you make a new to-do list that you never really cross things off that you just add more to it so much so that you take the to-do list and you say i'm not going to do any of those and then there's the worries and the fears about tomorrow or the past Certainly, there's enough worries. Whether or not I'm going to get through this day. And maybe even when the first thing in the morning, before your feet even hit the floor, you feel the weight of all that. And it makes you restless. Uncertain. Disturbed, even. Or maybe even... Have you ever felt restless when everything was going great? Right? Things could be going wonderful. Almost everything could be hitting on all cylinders in your life. Relationships, finances, health. You know, you're loving every sermon that the pastors preaches. Everything everything is going great. You laugh at all his jokes, you think everything is terrific. Car's running great, your cat is doing great. There's cookies in the cookie jar. Refrigerator stocked and well. You feel secure in yourself. But you still feel restless. You ever ever wonder about those times? St. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. So sometimes, I think it's actually good to be a little disturbed. To be unsettled to be restless because what I really think is actually happening when in our spirit and when in our heart and we're, we're actually hungry we're hungry for more of God and and we're so restless and so disturbed about it that that it doesn't matter that everything is going great I just I don't know what to do with myself I, I, I what, am, what what can I do next to get closer to God? What what is it that I'm not doing? And you're, you're, you're asking all kinds of different questions. At least I do. We know hugging oh, hugging, hugging is a driving force, but I'm talking about hunger. You know, hug, hugging in COVID is not a good, it's, it's not good. But you know, for me, hugging is a is a driving force. But I meant to say hunger is a driving force. Uh, we know hunger will. Uh, focus you, it will motivate you and it will move you. Usually towards the refrigerator or towards a restaurant or towards something or that cookie jar we mentioned. But hunger will motivate you, it will move you and spiritual hunger is no different. It will drive us crazy at times. Absolutely insane. Because the same-o doesn't do the same-o anymore if you know what I mean. What I used to do to connect with God doesn't really work anymore. Kind of, maybe, sort of. I'm still restless. I spend time reading the Word and I'm enjoying it, but it's not enough. I worship, I worship, I worship, and then, man, there's something else. I pray. And I, I'm still hungry. So I want more. But I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm kind of like st- stuck. I'm restless. I can't, I, can't, I can't sleep at night. I, I, can't, I can't sit still. Uh, you know, the things that I used to occupy myself, they, they don't occupy my mind or my thoughts or my feelings anymore. I'm restless. Because I'm not connecting with God. Again, I'm not saying this is a fault. I'm just saying this is, this is something that God does to disturb us, to, to rouse us up. The heart is restless until it finds this rest in you, Lord. And I think this, this hunger pushes us into uncomfortable places that challenges us to abandon ourselves further. Because that's what we need to do. We're going to talk about abandoning ourselves. Listen to these scriptures and see if these, these writers of these scriptures are hungry. Psalm 84:3. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Does he sound hungry? Does he sound thirsty? Psalm 42, one, verses 1-2 one says, As the deer pants for the water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And this one in Jeremiah 15-16. I thought this was absolutely awesome. When your words came... I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. This is what I call, this kind of hunger that is represented in the scriptures and, and there are countless more. We know this. I call this soul hunger. Soul hunger. When when <laughs> we're so disturbed we're, we're we're so uncomfortable you know in our spiritual skin that that it is not enough to do what we used to do to connect with god that we, we want more and this is what god does god produces this this soul hunger in us so that we pant and, and we drive ourselves to, into his presence it's passionate it, it it is like i can't wait to be in your presence cuz i bear your name, and guess what? Your sons and daughters are the most high like God. Guess who name you bear? You bear his. And he makes his children hungry. I call it soul hungry. Now, here's the thing. All human beings, every human being on the on the face of this planet, all eight point something billion of them, are soul hungry. They're starving for something. They're starving for adventure or, or, or relational connections, for family, for excitement. Maybe, maybe they're starving for affection. Maybe they're, they're starving to, to know who they are, why they're here. Yes, those are two basic, basic questions of every human being on the planet. Who am I and why am I here? doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a Buddhist. You're going to ask those questions. Starving to know who we are. Starving to, for all the things that... So many things, for maybe wealth and fame and thinking that it's going to fill a need. Everybody is so hungry... Looking to fill up on something that lasts. Have been saying that you know, what fills you forms you. You are what you eat, spiritually as well as physically. You are what you eat. They know something is missing. They know it. They just don't know what it is. They don 't know what they're missing. Because some of them, you know, starve for some kind of religious connection to a God they think might be out there. They're starving for it. They have soul hunger. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing they have this hunger because, you know what? It opens them up to the gospel. It opens them up for us who are also hungry to say, Hey, I'm hungry too, but I know a source. I know a place where we can get something to eat. That's satisfying. That's filling. That changes who you are. That forms you in the right way. It's a hunger that only God can satisfy. John 6, 35 said this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst this is really a big claim here this is this is jaw dropping claim here this is like jesus is just saying something really powerful here now in the greek in the greek those that that those phrases whoever comes to me and whoever believes in me in the Greek, it says, whoever comes to me, it really means who comes to me over and over and over and over again. Whoever comes to me over and over again. Whoever comes to me over and over again. And the one who is believing me, that means in this moment, they're going to find their souls neither hungry or thirsty. That's big. That's big. That's huge. But God, is, Jesus is saying that he's going to do it. Jesus is explaining how a kingdom diet works. See, Jesus is talking about the kingdom here. And he's talking about how the diet of the kingdom works here. Because here's the thing. When you are set free. And when you are delivered from slavery, from sin. You get a whole new diet plan. You get a whole new diet plan. Look at the Israelites. They get set free from Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness. And God sends them food every day in the form of manna. You know what it means in the Hebrew? What is it? They didn't know what it is. What is it? They never had it before. They had no idea what it is. So when God delivers you from something, He changes the way you eat. He gives you a new diet. This is the kingdom diet here. to do what Jesus says. Come over and over and over again. Come, be present. And I'm telling you, if you do that, your soul, your soul, it says, won't be hungry or thirsty again. It's crazy. That is awesome. Soul hunger is when we're so hungry, so thirsty for more of God that it becomes an obsession. Can you obsess about God? Yeah, yeah, you can. It's okay. It's okay that you know God is the first thing in, on your mind in the morning. And the first thought that comes when when something comes into your life that's hard or difficult or pleasant or joyful, He's the first one you thank no matter what. See, when when the mindset is, is so connected to God that we start to think like God, which He promises in His Word that we can, that we could have the mind of Christ. This is what this kingdom diet does for us. The soul hunger, so you know, it's a passion that can't be contained, and it outlasts all other forms of hunger. Don't you want to be that hungry? Do you realize that soul hunger is an invitation? Soul hunger is an invitation. Revelation three twenty. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Okay, let's take this apart. The word eat or dine, depending on what translation it is, it means the same thing, means to take the main meal together. The Jewish culture, they had two meals a day. One in the early morning, it was a small meal. The main meal today the day was bigger and usually had more people involved. It could be not just a family, it could be extended family, it could be neighbors, it could be a visitor. Whatever it was, that was the main meal and it was meant to share. Jesus says, I want to come in and I want to feast with you. I, I, I want to feast with you. I don't want a snack. I, I, don't, want, I, don't, I don't want some fast food here. I want to feast with you. I want to linger with you. I want, to, I want to share your life with you. And I want to share my life with you. It's an invitation. Soul hunger is an invitation. It's a dual thing here. Jesus says, if you invite me in, I'm coming in. I'm taking you up on the offer. I'm going to come in if you if you open that door and you would allow me in. I'm coming in, and guess what? Not only are you supping with me, guess what? I'm something with you. See, it's personal with Jesus. It's very personal. The Kingdom Diet is huge. It's awesome. It's inviting. It's it's terrific in its complexity of of the the soul hunger. Does this? It gets you more hungry. See, when your soul is hungry for God, you go to Him over and over and over and over again. Because although He fills us, that that filling, that, that sensation of, of being in His presence just wants us to come closer to Him. Just deeper into Him. And know more about Him. Because we know that God is limitless, right? There's there's just no limit to God. So there's no limit to us knowing Him either. And so that's why we come to Him over and over and over again. This is the kingdom diet. This is soul hunger. This is why it's so powerful. And here is the most wonderful thing. Soul hunger is a signal... That God is inviting you into an encounter with Him. Soul hunger is saying, I want, I want you to encounter me in a way that you have not yet. And since God is limitless, there's a lot of encounters that we have yet to have with God. On so many different levels. And this is what soul hunger does. Never when we talked about spiritual appetite suppressors last week and I asked you guys to, to send me some and some we were late with your homework this week that, that's okay I'm going to talk a little bit about it but I'm, still, I'm going to hold off on what I want to really do with it for a while yet. I will talk about it but I want to talk about appetite in in, in in a quick minute here before I get to the main part of this We said that appetite suppressants were the things in our life that mess with our hunger for God. Now, one of the functions of appetite suppressants is the increase, what they do is the increase of the feel-good hormone, serotonin, which controls mood and appetite and sleep. Now, it's the feel-good thing. What appetite suppressants do Is trick the mind, trick the mind to tell your body that it's full. Therefore, killing your appetite, making you think that you are not hungry. Now, I don't think we have to think very hard how bad that would be spiritually. I don't think anybody here would say, I want to be tricked today. You know, I just want to be tricked. I want to be fooled. I just... Please, let me bring it up. I don't think anybody would want that. But we allow ourselves to be tricked into thinking that we're not hungry. That we have enough. Can you imagine if we really thought about it, saying to ourselves... I have enough of God. I have all I need of God. And now, if we thought that out loud or inside, we would probably either laugh at ourselves or maybe get a little angry with ourselves for thinking that. But subconsciously or sometimes, I think that's the way we think. Because that's the way we, what? Act. And we allow ourselves to be tricked into thinking that we're not hungry. And I I think if we go to John 4... John chapter four. I'm going to talk about some things that will help us. I think this whole story will will help us with this because suppressing our spiritual appetite is not good. Tricking our hunger for uh, is with temporary fixes. You know, you know, kind of like spiritual junk food um, that kind of temporarily satisfies us. It might even be the list of things, you know. I'm going to read my Bible today. I'm going to have devotions today. I'm going to pray today. Uh, I'm going to fellowship today. I'm going to worship today. And we make it a list, but the list doesn't do anything for us when we just check it off. And there's no life in it. And we said all those spiritual practices were good, but if they become just a list for us to check off, Then I think we have allowed some appetite suppressors do their work on us. Because here's the thing. And I've noticed people who actually take appetite suppressors. And they, and it does quell their appetite. But they still find something to eat. Because they're used to what? Eating. That's why many of those things don't really work with people. Because you will find something to still eat. And that's the same thing spiritually. You see, you will find something to consume. And they're usually lies that we believe about ourselves. Or we believe about each other. Or we believe about God. And so we consume these things. And so that's the question we have to ask ourselves. What are we eating then? And why, why are we allowing these appetite suppressors to have control? And that was to see, I was looking for all of your input, and you get, and I got a lot of input, and if I was going to sum up all those words, and there were a lot of different things, some crossovers, I was going to sum it up with one word, and that word is control. We allow these things to have control of us. That's why people take appetite suppressors, to control their appetite. They hand off their discipline to an artificial thing that tricks their body into doing something that it's not used to doing. It's the same thing spiritually. We hand over control to something and we allow it to trick us into thinking we have enough with God. Does that make any sense? Does that make sense? Okay. Now, the story of that the woman at the well happens to be my favorite story in the Bible. I think I've used this particular story to preach about many different things. And I was drawn to it again because I I think there's something here that speaks to about spiritual hunger in here. And we most of us in this room and, and most of the people who are listening today know this story very well. John chapter four. Jesus has come to the Samaria. Remember they, <laughs> the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, they don't get along. They don 't like each other. As a matter of fact, they hate each other. Samaritans were Jews that had mixed uh, marriages with other, other ethnic groups, and the Jews hated that. About them. And they showed it openly towards one another. So to, to travel through Samaria. Uh, was usually something that, that Jewish people didn't do. They would travel around Samaria. But Jesus chooses to go through Samaria. And he gets to this well. That he sends the disciples off to the nearby town. To get some food. He's too tired. And this is what I love. The scriptures. I love it. It says, And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. I love that the Bible states that Jesus' humanity is on full display here. He was tired. He was worn out. He sent the disciples, look, you guys go get some food. I'm too tired. I'm just going to sit here by this well. And it further goes on when he says, this woman comes along and he he admits his need by saying, give me a drink. Give me a drink. He admits, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I'm tired and I'm thirsty. I love the humanity of Jesus here. And I love this story because this woman is an amazing woman. Now, she's at a public well at the wrong time of the day. It's around noon. Women typically would draw water in the morning or at dusk. And they would do it in groups. She's all alone. And now, as we know the story that unfolds, she's got a stigma. She's got a reputation. And so the only time that she can come and get water without hassle... This is at time. What kind of spiritual appetite suppressors do you think she's dealing with? Shame? Guilt? Rejection? Fear? She might have a lot of those things going on in, in, but she, she comes to this water and and Jesus is really cool. He asked for a drink, and this woman, she's great. She's got an attitude. I love it. She's, she says, you know, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She understands, Jesus understands, that to drink from a cup that had been touched by someone from Samaria is unclean. So the moment he touched the cup, Jesus would be ceremonially unclean. She knows that. He knows that. He doesn't care. He has to drink. But she, her being kind of a smart aleck, she says, how is it? She's challenging him. So, you know, it's, why are you doing this? And Jesus, you know, He doesn't even answer a question, really. He says, if you know the gift of God, and who is it that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you ain't got nothing to draw water with. Where's your bucket? You ain't got a bucket. Where are you going to get this water from, is what she's basically saying. You know, there's a word that comes here, you know, is persnickety. Okay? It's a, it, this is a word that my wife would have used for her, this woman. That she was persnickety, snarky. She has an attitude. What's really cool is she seems to have no problem talking to a man. Now, Jewish men did not talk to women in public unless they were a family member. And certainly they wouldn't talk to a woman who was a Samaritan, and they shouldn't, wouldn't talk to a woman who was a Samaritan alone. And Jesus is alone with this woman. The disciples are gone. There's nobody else there from the town. It's just Jesus and this persnickety, snarky woman. And they're having a conversation, and she has, she's holding her own with Jesus here. It's, it's awesome. I love what Jesus is doing here. And she goes on to talk about, you have nothing to draw the water from. You've got no bucket. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, she says. She's challenging him on, all, on his theology, on, on his reputation here. It's just great. I love it. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, the water from the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, okay? But I love the woman's response. Sir, give me this water. I want this water. So I will not have to be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's saying, you know what? I'm tired of coming here in the afternoons day after day drawing water. You know, Just give me this water. I don't have to be thirsty and I don't have to deal with this stuff anymore either. Just give me this water. This is bold. This is huge. She's just taking him at face value. She's saying, you got some... That sounds good to me. I'm going to take it. If you just give it to me. And then Jesus changes the subject again. Go and call your husband to come here. There are a lot of reasons why Jesus probably asked that question. The woman said, answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one that you are now living with is not your husband. So what you have said is true. Um, tragically, this woman has lost five husbands. I don't know why we read into this story. And it bothers me greatly that most people assume that she is a very loose woman. In early Palestine, a woman had no rights. She could never divorce her husband. However, the husband could divorce her at will. So these five men have either divorced her or they have died. Now, the one that she's living with now, okay, that's an issue. That's a problem. Jesus is saying that that's a problem. But you know what? There is no condemnation here in Jesus. He's just pointing out a fact. He doesn't even call it sin. He's just saying, hey, you're you're telling me the truth. You have no husband. I know this. I can see this. Oh, by the way, you've had five. And the one that you're living with is not your husband. So he's calling her out, but he's not condemning her. I'm not sure why the rest of the world does, but that's just my opinion. Okay? Jesus is engaging her in a conversation that will make her soul hunger activate. And he is inviting her into an understanding of why she is hungry. And she's hungry. And she's thirsty. Because she goes goes on and says, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. That's, (laughs) yeah, okay. And then she goes into this theology thing. Pause. in all the Gospels this is the longest conversation recorded with a woman in all the Gospels this is big this is big the Bible doesn't put things in here for, by accident I think it's beautiful Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. It's like he's saying, don't believe in tradition. Believe me. The hour is coming with the where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is the Spirit. God is Spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And woman, she says, this is great. She says, she knows her theology. I know the Messiah is coming He is who is called to Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Basically, Jesus drops the mic and says, guess what? I'm the guy. I'm that guy. I'm the guy that's going to bring the water so that you never thirst again. I'm the guy that you're going to worship in spirit of truth. I'm that guy. Christ is here. This is cool, what Jesus is doing here. Look at the honor that he's giving this woman. And this is why I get mad when people trash her. In in some circles. God is, he chose this woman for this moment. And revealed himself, where he had not yet revealed himself to a whole crowd and multitude yet. And can you see the progression of her hunger here? She goes from snarky. She gets thirsty. Okay, I, you know what? I, be, I don't know who you are, but somehow I believe you. You've got water that is never... I'm, I'm never going to be thirsty again. I, give it to me. Oh, you just challenged me on some of my, my inward things? That's okay. It's okay, let's talk some theology. And Jesus engages with her on all these levels and then drops the mic and says, I'm the Messiah and I'm here for you. And all you got to do is come to me over and over and over again in spirit and in truth. Then his disciples came back and they marveled at who he was, that he was talking to a woman. Yeah, that would have been a big shock. But no one, no one dare ask Jesus, you know, or asked her. What do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left with her water jar. No, she left her water jar, sorry. And went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, the disciples left Jesus and they came back with lunch. This woman left Jesus and she came back with a whole slew of people to meet Jesus. That's hungry. The disciples never brought anyone back from their food hunting, gathering thing. You think that maybe I always ask this: Why didn't they bring anybody back to meet Jesus? There were Samaritans. I don't really care for Samaritans. Maybe, maybe I know Jesus was tired. He probably wants a rest, and so we'll keep the crowds away because they had a habit of doing that. Maybe they just wanted Jesus for all for themselves. Mm-hmm. We don't really know. But all we know is that they came back empty handed except for the food. She goes and she brings her town with her saying, Look, you've got to meet. you got to meet this guy. He's got something. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying that this is Rabbi eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. This is great. The disciples are going, did someone bring him something to eat? And then this verse that we shared last week, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to, and to accomplish his work. Kingdom diet again. Talking about soul and hunger here. Jesus' soul hunger was to do the will of the Father. He had a mission. God sent him on this mission. He was going to be obedient to the very end of this mission. And that what, that's what fueled him. That's what fed him. That's what continued to, to nourish him on his, on his mission, was to do the will of the Father. And then I love it. Jesus goes and says, Do you not say there are four months then comes to the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Is Jesus just talking metaphorically here? Or is he talking about the crowd of people that have just come to see him? I think he's talking about both. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here is the saying, host true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor, and others have labored And you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She she told them of her hunger. And who met her hunger. He told me all that he ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him and they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Soul hunger not only drives you, it drives other people to Jesus. Soul hunger is contagious. Soul hunger is contagious. This woman was... A huge evangelist. And I don't know how long that conversation was with, with Christ. You know, it probably was longer than what we have recorded. But let's say it was an hour, a couple of hours, that she was with Jesus. And she brings the whole town to Him to experience the Messiah, to stoke their hunger. And he stayed there two days because they were so hungry. I don't know. This 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 story to me is so powerful, so hunger drives you, it, it motivates you, it moves you. Right. It it makes me ask the question again. What am I eating? What am I feasting on? when I hear Jesus knocking on the door of my heart and asking to to come in and, and feast with me, what is my response to Him? And I think those are good questions to ask. Those are powerful questions to ask. And not that... This woman's approach to Jesus was, even when she was being persnickety, was full frontal. She was holding nothing back. And then when he slowly invited her into this feast that he wanted to offer her, she was still full frontal. She, there was, she, wasn't, she wasn't persnickety anymore, but she was still as passionate in her engagement with Jesus. I think there's something in there to learn from this woman. Not the persnickety part, but, but the full frontal, all in conversation with Christ and saying, man, I am so hungry. I am so, I'm so famished. I, I need more of you. What does that look like for my life today? How does that work in my life today? Give me that water. I want that water. Does that ring a bell? Does that strike something in your heart, in a chord in your heart? Uh, I know for me, it's a a challenging word to think about this and to think about the appetite suppressors that I might have in my own life. Certainly grief can be one. That's something for us to to recognize, those of us who are dealing with it. Uh, Grief is a huge appetite suppressor. You know, fear is, worry is. Um, but again, I think all the things that you guys gave me, and we'll, we'll talk about that in the weeks to come, um, they all have to do with control. Because that's what an appetite suppressor does. So I, I, I need you to think about that. I need you to pray about that. You know, you already gave me some of your appetite suppressors. Now you need to think about what are they controlling? What are, what are you allowing them to control? And then... Find scriptures. Search the word. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those things. And then, there is this thing called strategy that is really important. And and develop a strategy so that when you recognize that appetite suppressor, you have a scripture ready, or you have a prayer ready, or you call someone up and say, hey, right now, this thing is really just killing my appetite for God. Will you pray for me? Let's reach out because you see, she brought the whole town. She brought other people into the feast. And that's, and that's why we travel together. You know, Maybe you have other brothers and sisters that, you know, not necessarily bridge builders that you can call them and say, hey, right now, pray for me.